Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line, as he does every week, Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Sobering up, we know I am, um, from another big weekend. And, you know, just saying off here, I think it's, what, Tuesday evening, Australian Eastern time, and I think I've just um, got over the hangover from Saturday, so going beautifully. No, Caddy, as I said to you, yes, when you get to our age, Caddy, you need the perfect conditions, you need a good track, you need the rail to be in the right position to, to produce your best run, and, and clearly you just uh, the conditions weren't there for you to suit you, and you've just pulled up a bit uh, a bit lame, as they say. Well, the positive is is that, um, I don't know, if you listened back last week, I think I was getting more drunk as the episode went with every <laughs> glass of wine I drank throughout it, so I certainly aren't um, on, the, on the wines tonight, so hopefully you get a more clear and concise gorilla um, on the other end of the line. I thought it was some of your sharpest work last <laughs> week, Caddy. I'm disappointed to hear that maybe uh, you're, uh, you're under the influence a little. Nothing like your Tuesday night sit, mate. Um, when you get to it, when you get to my age and, and well and truly retired, unlike your, your good self, you're still trying to get around that footy field. No, don't, don't worry, mate. I definitely won't be getting around the footy field this year. The the body certainly had enough of uh, of doing that. But uh, j- just before we get into the basketball talk, Caddy, obviously a a tragic week, if you want to call it that, in for for all sports fans, all all Victorians, Caddy, with with the passing of the great Shane Warne. Yeah, it's just staggering news to wake up to on Saturday. It was one of those ones you, you probably thought, of, you know, initially, oh, this is a, just a hoax or a yeah. joke or whatever it was. Yep. But um, I, I woke up about 6.30 on Saturday. And I think the most surprising thing for, for me initially was how many people that I knew that were posting it must have been up at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. Some of the messages were like, yeah, three hours ago. I'm going, geez, that's, uh, that's nice and late to be sitting up on a Friday night. But, yep. yeah, no, just uh, horrible news. and. Um, yeah, I can't think of too many more famous people um, that you know to, to wake up to that news that, that it could have been because it was um, like the Kobe moment for us for Australia, pretty much wasn't it? When when Kobe passed away, obviously in the helicopter crash, and this is this is our version of that. I mean, is it sort of wrong to say he's probably probably even bigger in Australia than Kobe was in America? I, I don't know. Yeah, no, he's going to be right there. I think just probably just not in this the same horrific um, shock. Uh, circumstances, I suppose, yep. that Kobe's, you know, so graphic. But, um, yeah, I don't think there'd be too many more bigger names in, in Australia than, than Warnie. So, yeah, you just go down the line and he just transcended, obviously, um, not just in Victoria but all around Australia. And then you think of the international appeal as well. And, um, yeah, just a, a huge presence, um, obviously, when he was playing and then um, continued on in his post-career. And I think the fact he was... You know, he lived a lot abroad and he'd only sort of been Melbourne or Victoria or Australia for, for stints of the year. It sort of added to the added to um, the celebrity a little bit. But, um, yeah, just tragic news. And it's been, you know, as sad as it all is, it's been great watching all the footage um, that's been pouring through all, all week around, um, you know, some of the deliveries and, and, the, and the interviews that he's had. And he's shared so much of himself to everyone. And yeah. um, we've all got a good sense of, of the guy that he was. So, yeah, no, horrible, horrible news. Yeah, I think that's why it hit so hard because he did share so much of himself and, and you sort of felt like you knew him pretty personally even though I don't know if you ever bumped into him at any stage. I certainly didn't. But, um, yeah, just because he was he was in the media after his career, he, he just sort of – he said what he wanted to. He didn't sort of sort of hold back at any stage and, you know, you're my age. So us growing up and, and watching him, and I know for me when whenever Shane Warne was bowling, I, to, I couldn't leave the couch, you know, for, for a spin bowler to sort of – to draw you in, and he, he he had the mentality of a fastballer. He'd stand at the top of the crease and look at the batsman, and and it was the theatrics. Like he was obviously a fantastic, you know, craftsman of what he's doing. But the theatrics with him, he'd bowl it and he'd give the big ooh and the ah when he'd beat the bat, and he'd stand there and scratch his chin and you know go down and talk to to Healy or Gilchrist for <laughs> probably didn't even say anything about what was going on. But just the whole theatrics of what he brought to the table just made him so watchable and. Yeah, just just really tragic, and you obviously feel for his for his family and his kids. Who I don't know if you watch SAS Caddy, but he, he's he's uh, uh, Jackson. He's his young boy was on it last year, and he sort of spoke about how how tough it was for him living in Shane Ward's shadow. And you know, again, you sort of felt like you get you got to know Jackson Warren just from watching that last year. So my my thoughts were initially with, with him, and, and and obviously the family as well, and, and what a huge, what a huge tragic loss it was. And and obviously only twenty four hours out. 24 hours after we lost Rod Marsh, who was a who was a great of Australian cricket as well. Yeah, just um, yeah, back to back, two two huge names, and you know Rod Marsh. I think for us in our age group, we weren't lucky enough to really 
see much of him play if at, if at all. But you know, he was certainly a huge presence in the development of a lot of the modern players that we grew up watching through the cricket academy. And I think that's where you know my sort of mind shifted initially with with Rod Marsh is around the work he put in there and the the way he brought so many of those great that great year of Australia through the, those academies and, and Rod Marsh was a huge part of part of that and you know clearly the duo with him and Dennis Lilly and um, the record you know partnership there with them um, yeah there couldn't have been two two more um, you know more famous Australian cricketers to to pass away you know both in earlier than they should have with with what we think are heart, heart issues for both of them. So it's um, yeah, definitely a, a sad and yeah, terrible time for, for the sport. Yeah, it certainly was. So we'll move on now, Caddy, off the cricket onto the basketball. And and obviously both of us are right into Twitter. You get a lot of stats that, that pop up on the Twitter, Caddy. So what I thought we'd do tonight is I'll just sort of rattle off a few impressive stats that you know I saw throughout the week and we'll sort of expand on it from there. So... The first one we'll speak about, Caddy, was LeBron James's huge game that he had against the Golden State Warriors. 56 points, 9 of 31 from the field, 10 rebounds and, and 6 three-pointers. So LeBron came the, became the first player in NBA history with a 50-point game before turning 21 and after turning 35. And he's now the oldest player in, in NBA history to record 50 points and 10 rebounds in a game knocking off previously Michael Jordan, who he's obviously always compared with, who was 33 years old and 19 days, and LeBron is 30, was 37 years old and 65 days. So just, I mean, it, it's hard to sort of put into words, but how impressive of a performance was that from LeBron James at his age ca- carrying this subpar Lakers team at the moment against a really quality outfit in Golden State? How impressed were you, Caddy, with LeBron James' performance? Well, I'll tell you what I was impressed with is the fact that, um, and I'm sure one of our power and the key listeners, um, an old friend, uh, former teammate, Nathan Tiberi, was live at the game. Yes, yes, unbelievable. That was um, the most incredible part of it for me, the fact, um, yeah, it's sort of hit, can be hit or miss when you you get over there and and book tickets and, you know, in this, um, you know, player empowerment era when they can be sitting out at any given time, some of these players, but to to turn up and and see LeBron go for 56 or uh, whatever the number was in the end. Um, was, yeah, I'm sure um, our mate Nathan would have uh, those memories for the rest of his life. So, um, But, yeah, to, to get back to your point, just, yeah, the, the stats you threw out there in terms of the age and, and being able to do it um, and such short, you know, small company that's accomplished that, it speaks volumes for, you know, the career that he's had and, and continues to have and, um, and also probably talks a little bit about the lack of um, talent he's got around him at the moment too in, in that team. But, um, you know, he, they saw that he, he didn't play today, and he's, um, there's talk of a pretty significant soreness in his knee. So, whether that was a bit of a, a final <laughs> finale for for the season, perhaps for LeBron, you never know. Um, they're, they're certainly going nowhere this season, so it'd be interesting to see whether they do decide to shut him down at some point. But yeah, 56 points on um, on that shooting, and in a win too. So let's let's not diminish the fact he's done it in a win and a team. You know, Clay and Steph were for, were out there for the Warriors, and um, yeah, really significant um, piece of history that he's captured as part of that. And at his age, thirty-seven, and this season, he's continuing to have averaging nearly the thirty points a game. It, it's hard to you know see when he is going to eventually slow down and, and go to some level of normal because he certainly hasn't showed any sign of that so far this year. And you know, playing huge minutes, thirty-six, nearly thirty-seven minutes a night. This season, and um, yeah, but it will be a bit of a watch to see whether he, he does come back now in the short term. Well, he, he's closing in on Carl Malone for second all-time leader in the points scored in regular season. It's it's a little strange how how the history books are sort of worked in the NBA. They don't include playoffs, which I would have thought are the most important games. But you know, when they're talking about the, the all-time leading scorer being uh, Kareem, like they don't add in the playoffs points, which again, as I said, I find really bizarre. But so I think he's probably going to be – he's going to want to come back and try and close that gap on Carl Malone as quickly as possible, as silly as it sounds. You know, I think LeBron's one of these guys that's always worried about his legacy. He's obviously trying to run down Jordan, I suppose, to, to be recognised as the greatest player. And if he can certainly climb up as high as possible and, and get above Kareem, which we all probably think he will, but you never know. Somebody could suffer a pretty catastrophic injury at any stage. So I think he'll come back and try and mow down uh, Carl Malone as quickly as possible, but so I, I didn't. I didn't watch the game live, but I obviously heard what he'd done. So I went and watched the replay that night. And he, and his first half, he ended up scoring twenty six points. But it was 
it was sort of the most non-eventful 26 points, if that's even possible, that I can even remember. He scored a lot of them around the basket. Golden State were very small, are very small at the moment with Draymond Green out and, and Wiseman still not in the lineup. So he was getting a lot of sort of easy baskets around the rim and it was really only that that three that three pointer he hit right on the buzzer at half time that was sort of sort of semi spectacular it was it was a bizarre 26 point first half he obviously got going in the third quarter where we saw a lot more highlights but yeah j- just an absolutely incredible game for a guy of his age so so we you know we've spoken about the lakers a number of times that they they had a pretty bad loss again today they they're now incredibly 28 and 36 is just any we we all thought that the pairing of Westbrook and LeBron and AD wasn't perhaps the the greatest sort of trio that you could put together, but I don't think anybody thought it'd be this bad. So uh, they're obviously no danger of dropping out of that playing tournament. But I mean, the the longer the season goes on and on, and we keep saying, "Oh, let's just wait till they all get together." Uh, uh, do you think there's absolutely any chance, Caddy, of causing any sort of damage at all in the playoffs? No, I don't think so. I mean, they're, they're playing for effectively eighth position because. We assume they won't get up any higher than ninth. I mean, they're five games back from the Clippers in the eight seed. So they're going to have to win that nine v ten game, and then the seven and eight place, the seven go in. So they're playing for eighth, and then that's going to be, you know, if you do manufacture to get through that, you know, whether it is beating the Clippers or whoever you've got to beat for that last spot. Well, then you get the the Phoenix Suns in a <laughs> in a matchup. So for me, it's just they've just shown no sign at any stage this season that they're going to be a competent playoff team and and then that's withstanding whether Anthony Davis is even back at that point so no no, not for me I think it's a complete and utter waste of time really the fact that they're you know gonna survive the season into at least into the playing tournament and I think the irony is again with LeBron making those comments a year or so ago around um the playing and how much of a joke it was that no, it really is, is, you know, saving grace. Do you think he's going to apologise for those comments and, and backtrack no, he, on those? Probably not, but, um, yeah, it's the only thing that's kept them in it now this season because they'd be done and dusted already um, if it wasn't the case. So, But, no, look, I think, you know, they, they can't get up to seventh um, as it is, so that means that best they're playing for is eighth and, and that means a match-up with Phoenix and it has just curtains, I think. Um, look, it, it, in the unlikely event, Chris Paul's injuries worse than his, and he doesn't come back, and you know Phoenix have a have a breakdown at some point. But other than that, it's um, I, I yeah, just for me, I can't see how they're going to be able to turn anything around to survive a seven game series um, against the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and we heard the reports during the week that there'd been some push for for some within the Lakers coaching staff to to bring Westbrook off the bench, but uh, Frank Vogel was reluctant to do so. And, yeah, I mean, could you imagine? I don't know how well Westbrook would take to being demoted to the bench. He's one of the more stubborn players we've seen in a long time. So probably the right call from Vogel, even if it probably makes more sense from a basketball point of view. But just quickly on their opponent that day, the Golden State Warriors, they lost again to the Denver Nuggets today. They were resting Steph and Clay and, you know, Draymond's still out. So, I mean, that was a an understandable loss. But they're now the, the third seed, 43-22. and 22. Utah, who have started to get going, and Dallas are probably within sort of striking distance, I suppose. They've they've really struggled since Draymond has, has been out injured. And we spoke last week about the fact that they need an absolute 100% healthy Draymond Green to be any shot. But but are you starting to waver, even if that with uh, your confidence levels on Golden State, that even if they get back a Draymond Green fully healthy, that maybe that they still don't have the horses to compete, you know, with a Phoenix or or even who ends up coming out of the East? Yeah, I'm probably not prepared to get there just yet. I think we need to see um, Draymond Green back in the team and at least playing with Clay Thompson. We mentioned last week or the week before that they hadn't even really apart from a couple of seconds being on the court together at all this season. So I think we need to give that at least a chance. And the positive news was that Draymond Green should be back next week, um, back playing. So that that's certainly going to be a, a bit of a lift for, for the Warriors, who, as, as you said, are on a, on a real um, downward fall at the moment. They've lost five on the trot. You know, if, if it was to continue as it, as it is at the moment, then you'd think that they'd probably be lucky to even hang on to the third seed. They could fall into the fourth or fifth. See potentially, and then you're sort of in that mix of teams with Dallas and Denver and Utah, and and, and none of those matchups are going to be the easy, um, given the star quality of players on on all of those teams. So, um, but that said, I, I don't think there's anyone there that's going to scare the hell out of them either to to think that they can't compete. So, 
you know, we mentioned Phoenix probably being the out and out clear favourite, but I still don't think they're necessarily proven to be, you know, a world beater at this stage. They haven't achieved anything really other than their, you know, pretty admirable finals run last year. And with Chris Paul still on the shelf and, and hopeful of coming back, then there's still an opportunity in the West for, for someone to come through. So I still have Golden State as one of those teams that they can challenge. I mean, I don't think what we saw today in the game against Denver is any real um, reflection of where they're at. I mean, it was actually good to see um, some performances with Moody, you know, scoring the 30 points and Jordan Poole, you know, again, showing how important he can be if needed, um, you know, as a scorer on this team with a, with a 32 as well. So they competed pretty well, um, you know, basically sands all their star players today. But, yes, yeah, so I, I haven't written them off. I, I'd love to see Draymond Green back out playing with Clay Thompson and then, you know, getting Otto Porter back into the fold and getting some production out of him as, as they did earlier and Andre Iguodala he's missed a lot of basketball as well. So there, there's some pieces there that can, you know, if they can come together, I'm sure the Warriors would still have confidence that they can compete with anyone in that Western Conference. And I think they're going to get a tough matchup in the first round anyway. And then you know, they're going to have to be good sides all the way through, like like all those teams are um, in the West and in the East this season. Yeah, yeah, that's it's one of the more open uh, playoff series we're going to see on, on in both conferences, as you said. And yeah, my concern is that when they started the season really well, you know, Iguodala, Porter, as you mentioned, you know, Bielitsa, these older guys were really contributing. But as as the seasons progressed and gone longer, that they're, they're starting to not give the same output as we've seen, and they're, and they're starting to rely on some of these younger guys. And whether or not you know you've got the confidence that uh, these young guys can stand up in the playoffs is my big concern. And also the fact that they're, they're obviously not overly tall. Now, Draymond Green is out at the moment, um, so so that's obviously a big hole. But, you know, we've seen Kaminga playing, you know, effectively the centre at stages, and, and Wiseman is still out. But again, Kaminga and Wiseman are two really young guys, so can you depend on them in the playoffs? So... Uh, that, that's my big concern. We saw the Lakers, who were also small themselves. Like they're not playing any noted centre at the moment. LeBron's effectively starting at centre, and they, they out-rebounded the Warriors pretty comfortably. So that's my big concern at the moment, that the Warriors are, are very small. When Draymond gets back in, let's have a look at it. But, you know, I've got some serious, serious concerns about Golden State's ability to, to be able to, go, to sustain a deep uh, playoff run in the Western Conference. Okay, we'll move on to the next stat now, Caddy, that... Uh, that piqued my interest during during the week, and it was the fact that Tyler Hero has scored now seven straight games off the bench with twenty plus points after, which is a franchise record after his thirty one points today against Houston. So his last seven games are 25, 27, 20, 30, 27, 21, and thirty one against Houston today. As I mentioned, the Miami Heat are now twelve and two in their last fourteen games. They're 44 and 22 and have opened up a three game lead in the Eastern Conference ahead of the, the Philadelphia 76ers. So, how confident are you, Caddy? I, I think the Miami Heat are being slept on a little bit. They're probably not being spoken about as much as a Philly who have obviously added Harden. You know, there's obviously plenty of talk about Brooklyn, Milwaukee are getting a lot of talk, rightfully so, given they're the defending champions. But I, I think that the team that have got a three game buffer over everybody else in their conference are probably being slept on a bit. Maybe I'm seeing this through Miami Heat uh, supporter eyes, but. What about you, Caddy? How impressed have you been with the Miami Heat over this last sort of month or two? And and where do you sort of have them in the packing order at the moment? Yeah, look, it's been interesting to see the rise, um, you know, just pretty consistently all the way through the season. As you mentioned, they haven't had the, the drama associated with them as other teams have, which has filled up most of the, the newspaper columns, I'm sure, with Philadelphia and, and Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee and then the rise of the Cavaliers and, you know, the feel-good story a little bit with Chicago coming good, Toronto's improvement, and now Boston are, are, are the ones sort of making a lot of noise with their improvement. But but Miami have been there all the way through and, and have just sort of worked their way up. You know, only a week or so ago, there's probably a three- or four-way go to the top of the East with Chicago and, and Philadelphia in there as well. But now Miami have continued to win and, and win well and, and put some gap in it now, and, and they look to be... You know, they'd have to be the prohibitive favourites now to, to finish as a number one seed in the West. It'd be hard to see any of these other teams catching them now with about 16 or 17 games to go. It was interesting. They played Philadelphia the other day and James Harden um, had the night off in that one. Yeah, um, what, what, that, that's just soft. Surely you got to have the night off. It was a back-to-back. Sit out the, the, the first game and show up for the Miami game, surely. Yeah, you'd think so because I mean that's where you, you know you want to be tested on on the big stage as as well and, and really you know, get those 
you know, playoff type chops um, at this stage of the season where where things are getting towards the end. But yeah, now Miami are going to be you know really hard to beat again. This Western Conference, as we've mentioned a number of times, is going to be a bit of a a bit of a um, a tough you know navigation, I suppose, to come through. But look, they're going to get a, a favourable matchup. You think in in the in the first round, unless it well, is well, maybe know, not, maybe not. Yeah, if Brooklyn sort of you know, they're currently ninth. If they can only get to eight and, and and somewhat get there, say they have to play Charlotte in a in the final playing game to to get the eight seed, then that's probably not a great matchup. Depending on you know what Brooklyn are going to look like at that stage, and and we still don't know. There's still no clarification around Kyrie Irving and home games. There's still no real timeline around Ben Simmons. So you know, as currently constructed, then Miami would beat Brooklyn no dramas at all. I think um, in a seven game series if they were to play next week, but you know, there's still a bit of time to play out. So, no, the thing that interests me, I suppose, with Miami is how the roster's going to take shape now that Victor Oladipo, we saw, made his return today. And, and it looked like a, a positive return. They said it was going to be a hard 15 minutes um, limit that he had. And he, he played the 15 minutes, 11 points, four assists in his first game in uh, nearly 12 months. So that, that was certainly, you know, a, a positive return uh, for him. You know, we, we've seen... So many injuries for, for this team through the year. Butler's missed some games. Heroes missed a lot. Duncan Robinson's been hot and cold. Kyle Lowry. So they're starting to get it all together now. And, you know, they, they've got to be feeling reasonably confident about where they're sitting and the depth that they've got. Um, you know, Morris is the other one that can come potentially back in and, and strengthen. Ever going to take the court ever again? He's just been missing <laughs> in action since uh, bulldozed by a big Jokic. He certainly has. But, um, you know, it's just going to continue to add um, depth pieces to this team, um, which, as we know, you know, there's just at, at the very minimum, it's going to be good coverage for for any further injuries um, as the season goes along. But um, now they're they're right up there. They're getting you know all star level play now again back out of Bam out of Bio and, and Tyler Harrow. You, as you mentioned, it, it brings tears tears to my eye really because I um, you traded him, him, didn't you? Yeah, again, um, we've spoken a little bit about my um, uh, inhibitions when I'm on the. Uh, had a few glasses of red, and uh, as I said, I think this one was a trade that got me late uh, one night. But um, yeah, looking just remind me again: who was it for? <laughs> a some subpar centre from memory? It was for a couple of subpar centres. It was Daniel Gafford and Isaiah Stewart. You know, oh, Gafford no. didn't last too long, and Dave Stewart actually come pretty good, but he um, he's also gone off the court today with a looks to be a knee injury. So um, from a gorilla point of view, it's, it's a disaster. One day after. Um, we think we've lost Jared Allen for the season, so <laughs> yeah. we just can't buy buy a trick. But um, but in terms of the Heat, I, I, I think that um, yeah, they're they're certainly going to be well placed, as well placed as anyone. I think you know I haven't looked at the odds of where you know the bookies have, have this Eastern Conference sort of leveled out. But you'd have to think the way Philadelphia are playing, they'd have to be right there. Milwaukee, we still you know for me, I still think they're there the team to beat. Um, although they just haven't consistently sort of put it together all year. But I still think the whips are cracking. Giannis is still the best player potentially um, to get past. So there's still going to be work to do for them, but I, I like the way that the roster is now filling out um, with, with good depth. I mean, the fact that Gabe Vincent can't really see the court now, um, you know, it's just a luxury that they've got um, in this lineup. So, yeah, all, all um, credit to them. They've, they've got gone through quietly, as you mentioned, and now, yeah, comfortably, I think we'll end up being the, the one seed here in uh, the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it's certainly trending that way. When we spoke about them, when we did our over-under over, over under podcast, uh, I said I, I liked their off-season, but I thought they'd be a, more of a playoff team than a regular season team just because they had some older guys who they might sort of manage and, and they might end up missing a few games. Well, well, that that has actually happened. A lot of these guys haven't played all the season, but they still managed to, to, as we've said, be at top of the the Eastern Conference standings with a 44 and 22 record. And the stat that was sort of floated around before the All-Star game or during the All-Star break was the fact that Lowry, Butler, Adebayo and Tyler Hero, their best four players at that stage, had only played about 50-something minutes together. Now, that, I think that's gone up to around about 70-odd since then. But to, to sit atop of the, the conference standings when your four best players have essentially only played 70-odd minutes together is an absolutely outstanding uh, job by, you know, Eric Spolster. We saw him named when uh, the NBA named the top, I think it was 15 coaches of all time, and Spolster was put into that. And I think, sort of raised a few eyebrows, but, I mean, the job he's done this year and right throughout his career, but I think this year sort of illustrates why he's held in such high esteem by the coaching fraternity. He's just, 
they're just always on the same page. They're great defensively. That they run their schemes. They they throw different. You know, they'll go zone for five or ten minutes to mix it up. Then they'll switch back to man on man. They're just they're just so well drilled, and that, and that's full credit to to Eric Spolstra. But the biggest question mark I had on on the Miami Heat roster heading into the season was I thought maybe they were they were going to be a bit shallow. I liked the Lowry acquisition and. And the PJ Tucker one, I wasn't sure how much he had left in the tank, but you know he's shooting forty-five percent from three. He was actually leading the league in three-point shooting recently. I'm not sure if he still got it or not, but he's been he's been very good. And, and I said maybe their 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 bench was a bit shallow, and they probably needed somebody like a Vince or a Struess to hit. Well, all these guys on the on the bench have pretty much hit. So you mentioned Gabe Vincent, who who Kyle Lowry was back in the lineup today. So Vincent went from starting and. I was lucky enough to pick him up off the wire over the last week, and he was averaging 15, 18 points and six or seven assists a game, filling in for Kyle Lowry while he's out. He goes he goes back to the bench and only plays five or six minutes today, but when he's called upon, he can come in and play his role. Max Struess, early on in the season, when Duncan Robinson was really struggling to, to hit the three ball, Struess was basically doing what they were hoping Robinson was doing. So they were getting Struess at a fraction of the price giving them the output of a, a $20 million player. So he's, again, he's shooting 40% from three. And and when he was in the lineup, that they were sort of changing the way they went about it and they were just firing away from, from three. And Struess was playing a really big role. Caleb Martin, who they had on a two-way contract at the start of the season, has since been converted. Like he, He's just been outstanding for them. He, he's a really hard defender. We've seen him had... Have a couple of big offensive games as well, so so he's just you know he just epitomizes what the kind of player that the Miami Heat like to build around. And then even an Omer Yurtsevin, when when uh, Bam Adebayo was out for that long term injury, he was just coming in and and you can ask your brother this because he, he had him for his, during his fantasy team. It was just double double after double double. It was twelve points, twelve rebounds, fifteen points, fourteen rebounds. He just came in and did his job. And again, he's now back out of the rotation. So the fact that they've had sort of essentially four guys who you looked at at the start of the season and thought, geez, I'm not sure what these guys are going to be able to give you, really step up to the plate and take the heat off Lowry and Butler and Adebayo when that when they were out. You know, that that's just that's been the reason they've been able to sustain their really good form right throughout the season. But but I do have to mention Bam Adebayo, who's really taken his game to the next level, probably over the last two months, probably, since he came back from that injury. He's been outstanding, both offensively where you can see he's growing again. Um, there's times when the Miami Heat offense can bog down uh, late in a game and, you know, they, they tend to go to Butler and he, he's obviously not a great athlete. He sort of uses his strength to, to sort of out-muscle his opponent and then hit a tough sort of contested two. But they can now go to Bam Adebayo and he can produce a good shot for him. Or, or pass it off, and, and you know, to a three-pointer who can, who to a three-point shooter, sorry, who can knock one down. But t- defensively, he's just he's just on another level. I, there was a play last week where he was defending, and the, and they he got put in the pick and roll, so he was defending the ball handler. He threw an alley oop, and he got back in time to block the pass to the guy receiving the alley oop. Very similar to the play we saw uh, Giannis do. I think it was in the finals or in the playoffs last year, and it's probably really only. Bam and Giannis, who are on that level defensively, that could that can uh, produce that sort of defensive play. So it's it's full credit to to those four role guys that I said, and also Bam Adebayo to to jump up and uh, and lift his and lift his game. So I've got Miami in the same sort of rung as Philly and, and Milwaukee as well. You mentioned Milwaukee um, have, probably haven't been quite as consistent as you would have liked, but they're now jumped up into the into the third seed. So if I put a gun to your head, Caddy, and said you need to pick a team out of the East, that would be a really weird thing to do to put a gun to your head and ask you to pick who's going to come out of the East. But who would you go with at this stage? Oh, look, I'd still be leaning towards Milwaukee. I think until we get to the playoffs and, the, and they fail as the champion, then I think they, they're still going to be given that due respect. It's not like you know they're sitting where they were probably two or three weeks ago, which was sort of back in the five, six seed. They're, they've you know, work their way up nicely into the third seed, the half a game out of the second seed. So I think, you know, it's likely that they'll finish somewhere in that two or three spot. I think the way it's looking, Chicago could fall down to as far as sixth, and then, you know, that's going to be a pretty favourable uh, matchup for the Bucks. I would have thought, in the first round at, at the very least. And then from there, you know, who knows? But I, I think, um, you know, until they're proven to not be the champs, I think they've still got to be taken um, as the favourite. As we mentioned, it's pretty open, and I don't think there's a clear cut other team. Um, you know, we've spoken glowingly 
around the Miami Heat now. I mean, the fact that they're, you know, seventh in offense, sixth in defense, fifth in net rating, you know, they've got all those, you know, key boxes covered. But, um, yeah, I just like the, the, the Bucks experience still. And the one concern I think I'd have with them at the moment is just, you know, the fact they are missing, you know, from last year's lineup, you know, Brooke Lopez and um, Pat Cottenham, who may, may or may not be back. PJ Some Tucker, rumors about and, Lopez maybe not being too far away. Yeah, well, that, that'd be a, a win for them because I think, you know, that, that's a lot of minutes that were out there last uh, playoff season that, that may not be there this side. So they're going to be relying a lot more on guys like Serge Barker and Grayson Allen to sort of fill fill those boots. So, you know, that, there's still a bit of doubt there. But I think, yeah, with Giannis at the helm um, and playing the way he's still playing, then I'd have them still as the, the favourite for me. Yeah, I, I've just probably got their nose in front just because you've, you've seen them go through the war last year. And produce, but I think Miami are right, right there. And, and you mentioned Victor Oladipo as that sort of wild card entrance. That there was, there was some talk about how good he looked in practice, and you know they were really excited about getting him back. And you know, you, you ran through his numbers from today's game. A positive first up hit out, albeit against a, a very subpar Houston team that that actually had that have actually been playing a little bit better of late. But uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if he can produce something for them. You know. Over the over the remainder of the regular season into the playoffs because he could be that that player that maybe does tip them over the edge. Obviously, a former All Star, so hopefully Oladipo can have a have a clean bill of health for the rest of the season and and really uh, contribute to this push for the Miami Heat. The next stat caddy I move on to was from another Eastern Conference player who's been very impressive of late, and it was Jason Tatum who scored fifty four points in a win over Brooklyn. And he now tied Larry Bird for the most 50-point games in Celtics history, which is incredible given how young uh, Jason Tatum is. So you'd imagine that over the next season or two, he will pass Larry Bird and become the the greatest 50-point scorer in the history of arguably the greatest franchise in the NBA. Boston are now 39-27, and 16-3 in their last 19 games. And I guess, Caddy, the, the biggest question is uh, what we've seen – over from Boston Celtics over these last 19, 19 games, is this something you can trust? There was a stat sort of flying around, uh, obviously before this run started, that they'd been bang on a, a 500 team for effectively two seasons and there was a joke that, you know, they might win two but then they're going to lose two and they're always going to find their way back to 500. But it seems over the last 19 games things have really clicked into gear. They've moved up now to the to the fifth seed. Almost, they're just one game behind Chicago in the loss column. So, for you, Caddy, do you see Boston Celtics as a legit contender, or do you think that they're probably just a little bit below those three teams in Miami, Philly, and Milwaukee that we just spoke about? I think you know, on paper, they'd still have to sit a little bit below those other ones because I think we we probably got a little bit more confidence in what we've seen from those other teams a bit more consistently, and and they don't have a Giannis or they don't have a Joel Embiid. As an example, I think, you know, we're, we're relying on still a pretty young Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to, to lead this team. That's know, the, the biggest question. Through. Sorry to cut you off. To, to be to be a title contender, you essentially need a top 10 player in the competition, preferably a top five, but you could probably get away with your best player being around a top 10 mark. From what you've seen as Tatum, and I know you're, you're a big fan of his, are you convinced that he's now starting to edge his way into that top 10 conversation? Oh, I think he's edging, but yeah, I think there's a ways to go before he gets there. And maybe there's a, a really stoic Eastern Conference run, him leading the Boston Celtics that makes him, you know, basically gives him that rise into that um, echelon of players. But I think, you know, until we see it um, consistently in these playoffs, then I think, you know, we still have to consider these other players, KD, Embiid, Giannis, that are going to be leading these opposition teams. Jimmy Butler's proven it in the playoffs um, that he's capable as well from the Miami point of view. So, Look, he's, he's not far away at all. Like, I mean, the, the fact he's come out and scored another 50-point game on, you know, more than 50% shooting um, is outstanding. And, and really, when, when that's that ball's going in and they're getting that support um, from both Brown and Marcus Smart when he plays, he's so crucial to them. The improvement from um, Robert Williams, um, particularly defensively, has, has really changed this team. And, and um, the, the one guy that really has been forgotten in all this is Al Horford, I think, who... And they got sent home from the OKC Thunder last year, basically told to, to go and take your paycheck and don't bother turning up. And, and it's really probably given him a, some fresh legs and a new lease on life. A little bit here with the Celtics, he started the season really, really well and then sort of 
probably tired a, a fraction, you know, leading into that all-star break. But he's come back out um, from that and, and really been a key cog in everything that they're doing as well, um, both from an offensive and defensive point of view. And just that veteran leadership uh, that they have in him is going to be really important. And, and as I mentioned, in terms of the playoff seedings, I, I think it could shake out the, to the fact that they you know, they could get as high as the fourth seed and maybe fall into a, a playoff matchup with Cleveland, who, you know, at this stage could be without, you know, their centre, Jaron Allen, depending on his finger injury. And we know how decimated and how um, much bad luck they've had with injury their Cavaliers this season. So that'd be, I think, a favourable matchup for the Celtics in the first round. And if you can then get into that last four, then you, you, you're every chance you could get a matchup against Miami, as an example. Then, you know, I don't think the gap's that big that you'd be going, oh, this is going to be an easy series win for the Miami Heat. So, you know, I think they're going to put themselves in a position that they could, you know, make a really unexpected run. And, and who knows, all the way potentially to the, um, not only the Eastern Conference Finals, but maybe even the Finals. But, um, you know, that'd be a big call at this stage, but it's been a one hell of a turnaround from what we saw at the start of this season. It certainly has. A very surprising one, given that they were effectively a 500 team for two seasons. There was one of those models that sort of inputs all the data into their system, the offensive ratings, defensive ratings, and whatever it may be that, that had the Boston Celtics as the favourite for the title, you know, about a week or so ago. So yeah, I, I don't quite subscribe to that, but I've, I've been super impressed with what they've been able to do over this 19-game sample. And and as I said, it, it's it's Jason Jason Tatum's rise for me that, that is pushing him into that upper echelon. So he, he went toe-to-toe yesterday with, with Kevin Durant. Now, Durant's obviously just coming back from injury. Not the not that you'd have any idea that he'd set out for so long because he's just picked up where he left off. But he looked comfortable. He's he's looking better with the ball in his hands. He's become a much better passer and you can he's become a more reliable, obviously, end of game player, which is which is what you need, you know, deep in a playoff run. So for me that that's the reason that you could consider the Boston Celtics as, you know, a legit sort of deep Eastern Conference contender, which you would never have said you know, prior to this 20-game sample. But the biggest concern, and I did mention this when we spoke about the trade that they did do for Derek White, is the fact that they're just very shallow. So, you know, for instance, in the game against Boston, their starters, Tatum, 41 minutes, Williams, 37, Smart, 35, Brown, 34, and Horford, 30. And and I totally agree with what you said about Al Horford, just an an outstanding sort of comeback since that all-star break. And then coming off the bench, Derek White only played the 20 minutes, and then we're looking at Grant Williams, 17, Peyton Pritchard, 12, and Daniel Tice, who they picked up at the at the trade deadline, 10 minutes. Now, how much you can rely on Tice in a playoff setting and Pritchard in a playoff setting, and, and even a Grant Williams is, is the biggest concern for me. So uh, whether they can sort of orchestrate something and, and get someone off the buyout market, I'm, I'm not too sure, but... That would be my biggest concern. If they get an injury to, even if it's not a Tatum or a Brown, like even Al Horford or a, or if a Smart went down, they'd be in big strife. But even even like a Derek White, if one of those guys went down, I'd think they'd be in a bit of strife. Is is that a concern for you, Caddy? Just just how shallow they are at the moment, and the fact that they don't really have anybody that you look at on the bench outside the guys that they're playing at the moment. You know, which is the exact opposite to what I mentioned to Miami, that could sort of jump in and and play a role if needed. Look, I think if they get to the playoffs fully healthy and can stay healthy, then it's, it's not really a concern because we, we know what we see generally during the playoffs is those rotations do get shorter. And if they end up only having to play a seven, eight man, maybe nine man rotation um, in the playoffs, I don't think that's a, a negative as such. But yeah, it's just the. Could you rely thing. upon an Al Horford? The, the, the playoffs, if they make it to the finals, effectively go for almost two months. Could you rely upon Al Horford at his age to to back up night after night in hard playoff games, playing thirty plus minutes? I mean, to me, that seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, well, particularly you know if they're, they're coming up against some some pretty powerful big men in the Eastern Conference. So that's where Robert Williams, you know, the big time lord from a defensive point of view. We know he's an undersized center, but um, yeah, he, he he's the he's their main cog defensively and. And I, I assume that's probably why they brought Daniel Tice in for a little bit of cover as well. So, yeah, look, they're probably you'd like to see maybe one more um, rotation piece potentially. Um, but I think, yeah, all things being equal, if they all stay fully healthy, they've probably got the rotation to the number that they, they're they probably comfortable with, um, providing that they don't get any um, surprises on the way through. But, you know, I'd keep an eye out for them at the, um, you know, just to see if there's any further addition they can they can make, but um, I think you know this will be pretty much the lineup they they go with and close with um, in the playoffs, and they'll go down swinging 
with these guys, they're you know apart from Horford, they really are a really young group. So I think you know in terms of miles on the legs, they certainly haven't got that to worry about. And it's just yeah, if they can stay stay healthy and on the court, then I think you know the rotation, the number, um, and, and the minutes they're going to be playing, I think that's probably what most teams will probably cut it down to when the whips are cracking anyway. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for all Boston Celtics fans that they can stay healthy and and get a legit run at uh, in the Eastern Conference playoffs. The next one we'll move on to, Caddy, is the Sacramento Kings have now extended their losing streak to an amazing 16, 16 straight seasons. So the stat that jumped out at me that I'm just about to read out I thought was absolutely incredible. So they've been in Sacramento for 37 seasons. Rick Adelman coached them for eight seasons. They had eight winning seasons in the eight seasons that Rick Adelman was their coach. In all, in the 29 other seasons that they've had a coach that wasn't Rick Adelman, they have zero winning seasons, which just absolutely blew my mind. They're now 24 and 43 after a disappointing loss today to the New York Knicks where Julius Randle put up a career high. What the hell is going on at Sacramento? We saw the trade they made at the trade deadline. What we thought was them sort of pushing all their chips in to make a run at that playing tournament. It seems to have backfired and blown up in their face. How do you think they're going? Do you, do you, in the end, do you think this this was a really bad trade for them to do and short-sighted? And, and what can you potentially see them doing in the off-season to, to arrest this 16th-rate losing seasons, Caddy? Well, I'm not sure what they can do, really. I mean, we I think we both discussed after the, the trade deadline, we were surprised that it was Halliburton the guy that they were, you know, seemingly happy to, to move on from. And and we did get a bit of a bump in the play uh from Dion Fox coming out of that um that, that trade deadline. But I think, you know, moving forward it's just still not not a great situation uh for this franchise. I don't see what the real way out is going to be. Um, you know, DeMontis Sabonis, you know, I, I really like as a player. Um but I don't think I I love him so much that he's, you know, gonna be effectively my number one guy, you know, for the foreseeable future. Alongside, you know, paired with Darren Fox, and you know, outside of some really significant lottery luck, and then you know, is there a player in this year's draft that's going to necessarily change the the narrative for them? I mean, they've had that many bites of the cherry from a draft point of view over you know the last however many years, twenty years really. That you know, the fact that they haven't been able to secure a franchise level player really at any stage, um, you know, Boogie Cousins was probably you know on the precipice there for a while as a as a star level play that you know they developed and drafted from their own, but really it's it's probably looking at Harrison Barnes. He's got another year left on his deal. Is, is there any value at him in the off season? Can someone can they get a first round pick back you know, for someone to take on his last year? I'm I'm not sure. Really, outside of that, you know they've got bonus under contract for another full two seasons. Darren Fox, we know, is extended. Rashawn Holmes is is on, on the books. David Mitchell's been you know had a promising. Rookie season, I think there's some some talent there. Dante DiVincenzo, I don't think shifts the needle at, at any stage. So, yeah, look, they're, they're kind of back to really square one. Again, I think I mentioned that last time, and, and I just wonder, you know, how there, there's a road, a clear road out or a path out of this for Sacramento. You know, they're going to be sort of a mid-lottery sort of team. You know, they're in, in that group of teams that could, you know, get a sixth, seventh pick, depending on, you know, unless they get some luck. In, in the in the ping pong ball, so I don't think they're going to get a player there necessarily that's going to change the course of, of where they're at. So I think they're stuck in um, mediocrity once again, where they're probably not totally bad enough to go all the way to the bottom, but they're certainly not good enough, I don't think, to be a playoff team in, in the near future. Or good enough to get anywhere near having a 500 or better season, yeah, as I said, for 16 states. Incredible stat, yeah. That that Rick Adelman stat, the fact that they've had zero, there's zero and twenty nine outside of him. That 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 is mind blowing. That they they could be so bad for so long. But an, an interesting off season for me. Like you know, as we've spoken about, that they, they sort of put their chips in and and got rid of their young guy in Halliburton to bring in Sabonis. Now Sabonis is only twenty five, so let's not act like he's you know thirty two and only got a couple of good seasons left in him. And you know, to his credit, he's come in and played pretty good basketball. But it just as you said, he's not the sort of player that you want to pin your hopes to and, and, and make him your number one guy. So, yeah, I, I'm just not sure what they're going to do in the offseason. As you mentioned, did they finally move on from Harrison Barnes? That that has to come at some stage, you'd reckon. And and, and and you hit the nail on the head. This is a team that really needs the lottery luck and, and to sort of shift up into that top two or three spots where, look, I'm not going to pretend to know too much about uh, college basketball, but there, there appears to be probably two or three 
sort of guys that they think could be franchise altering players. So if there's if they ever needed the the luck, the Sacramento Kings, it's it's now because obviously as we know last time they had a, a high draft pick, they decided to go with Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. So they they did actually have a chance to to alter the course of their franchise, and and they they weren't good enough to to pull the right string there. So hopefully, from a Sacramento Kings perspective, fans perspective, because. You can't. They're going to be the fan that you feel most sorry for. That they do get some luck, and you know this can sort of come together in the off season, and they can add a quality young player, and and somehow arrest this streak of sixteen straight games where they sixteen straight seasons. Sorry, where they haven't been able to win at least fifty percent of their games. We'll finish up, Caddy, just talking about something you've touched on throughout this show, and and I think I can hear the the pain in your voice as you're saying this. The fact that Jared Allen is going to be out with a as they said at this stage, uh, indefinitely with a fractured finger, the the Cavaliers have been, as you said, the sort of the fairy tale team of the season. You know, the, the over under I think was about twenty seven uh, before the season started. They're thirty seven and twenty seven at the moment. They doesn't appear to be the way that the standings are at the moment that they're going to be able to fall probably below that sixth seed. And I think you mentioned the fact that if Boston could jump up to the third seed, that that they'd be the team you play. And and I've heard Zach Lowe sort of campaign for this in the past and he mentioned it again just recently that it would be a huge advantage for the, the first seed to be able to pick their opponent and I reckon that if let's say it's Miami for instance finish first and Brooklyn finish eighth that if, that if Miami had the choice to be able to pick their opponent it would that they would certainly pick the Cleveland Cavaliers if, if certainly if they don't have Jared Allen and you can imagine the the spice added to these playoff series caddy that Okay, Cleveland is sitting. Okay, okay, Miami wanted to play us. It'd be the old bulletin board material that that you speak about a lot, and I think it would add a bit of spice if they if you could do that. I I don't think that would ever happen, but that would certainly be interesting. But how do you see this? Firstly, from a gorilla's perspective, Caddy, is this put your your title aspirations in the bin? And then, secondly, from a Cleveland Cavaliers perspective, is this basically just wiped them out of being any chance of causing any damage in the playoffs? Yeah, look, it's probably a little bit. Um, of both there, to be honest, from the Gorillas' point of view, I think it's it's been a um, quite deflating. We sort of found a way to you know build our, our team around Jared Allen, really, and the the positive categories that he performed so well, and you know the, the really high field goal percentage, offensive rebounding. Um, you know he doesn't shoot many threes, but you know defensive stats are generally pretty good as well. So we we sort of found a really good balance with him in the side, and without him now, and then he, Isaiah Stewart copping an injury today. So that type of player now um, in that team's sort of gone. So we're going to have to maybe rejig the way we yeah, think we've we can go We've seen you bounce back it. before, Caddy. You, you're a magician <laughs> on the wire. So, look, and I think also for Cleveland, I mean, I suppose the one luxury they did have um, was that they were pretty big up front, particularly in that starting lineup. So, you know, I think it probably allows Evan Mobley a little bit more freedom inside the paint there to, to operate. We still know they've got Laurie Markin and Kevin Love on the bench there. Dean Wade's the guy that will probably see an uptick in minutes. Um, Did you see his donkey threw down yesterday? That was massive. Yes, no, it wasn't bad at all for a walk, uh, for the play there. But I think, um, yeah, I think the fact that they've got a bit of coverage in the big man department. But I think it's just the, the sum of all parts here that it's going to hurt them. I mean, the Rubio injury we know was, was shocking. Colin Sexton out for the year and now potentially um, Jared Allen. Now, who knows with Allen? He could be back in two weeks. But I think when you get the indefinite um, time frame initially, it's it's never a good thing. So look, they'll need Karis LeVert to come back in as soon as possible. He's only played a handful of games for them since he was acquired in the trade. So they really need to get something out of him. And, and really, it's, their, their whole season's going to be, I think, hinged now on their continued development and how, how far... Um, even Mobley can take his game between now and the end of the playoffs because he's clearly the the one with all the upside and Darius Garland's had a terrific season, we know, but I think it's really going to come down to how good Evan Mobley can be down the stretch here and, and, and whether he can carry them, you know, in, anywhere. And, you know, they, look, who knows the, the way the, the playoff settings go. They could catch a, a Chicago in the first round. and they, They'd still perhaps fancy themselves in that matchup depending on Chicago's lineup as well at that point. So they'd be one where, you know, if that was a 4-5 seed, uh, potentially Chicago, Cleveland, then you know one of those teams will end up in that in that final four. So look, it's all not lost for Cleveland. I think it's going to be a lot harder if Allen is out, you know, for the season. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it is what it is, and 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 this is where 
for, for both fantasy players and, and for real life general managers, it's a it's really having a bit of depth in the lineup. And if you don't have it well, it's probably season over. And you know, if any of these teams lost a, a significant piece, as as we constantly see, it, it is game over um, in in basketball. It's not like a few other sports where you can probably carry a significant injury. These got you know these teams are so star studded and 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 built around star level players that um, yeah, once you lose one one of them, it makes it a hell of a lot harder to compete. Yeah, it certainly does, and it's going to be interesting to see which way they go with their starting lineup. I'd, I'd imagine they'd keep Kevin Love on the bench and try and rejig the, the starting lineup. But yeah, I, I will be interested to see what they do. And you mentioned the fact that a lot could potentially now fall on Evan Mobley's shoulders, and that, and that's a huge ask for a rookie, isn't it? Like he's been outstanding. We've spoken about him a number of times throughout the season. So you know, we've seen in the past some really big performances in the playoffs from rookies. I guess Magic Johnson's the one that springs to mind when he started as centre as a rookie for the Lakers. But, I mean, this is going to be a big ask on Mobley if they can't get Jared Allen back out on the court. But as you said, I mean, we're not sure how long he's going to be out. When they say indefinite, you sort of do panic a little bit. But I think OG Ananobi has got a similar injury at the moment, and they're saying he should be due back in about two weeks. And I think he's already missed roughly one and a half to two weeks. So if you look at that sort of four- to five-week timeline, That'd get him back in time for the playoffs, and and hopefully that happens because you know it'd be a real shame for for the Cleveland Cavaliers to have their season sort of uprooted by a by a bad injury to one of their key players. You know, you mentioned the fact that they they already had you know, Ricky Rubio go out with the injury, and, and Sexton's been out as well. So you know, you feel you feel really bad for him as well that if that if Allen went out with an injury, and we saw Garland surprisingly miss the first couple of games after the All Star game, which he played in and participated in the in the skills challenge, as we spoke about. So that was a bit strange. So hopefully d- down the stretch here, they can get all their players back out on the court and at least make a good fist of it uh, throughout the Eastern Conference final uh, playoffs because they've been certainly the feel-good story of the season. So we'll call it there, Caddy. As I say every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. If you haven't jumped on Apple Podcast Podcasts yet and given us a five-star rating, please do so. Also, also, we've got the Facebook page up and going, so if you jump on there and like that page, we post all the episodes there, and you can keep up the track with it there. And until next week, we'll talk to you then.